you for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church. To find out more about The Movement Church, you can check out our website at theocmovement.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at The OC Movement. All right, all right. Well, good morning, good morning. Come on, can we give it up for, I don't know, let's just clap for the sake of clapping. Hey, we are about to bring to a conclusion, I think, one of the most fun series we've done at the Movement Church thus far called Summer Blast, where we're covering nine characteristics that one of the chief writers in the Bible said should be evident in the life of every Christian. He called them the fruit of the Spirit. And so we decided to make this kind of a little bit fun, even though summer is officially over, we just said we're going to carry it on into the beginning of fall, and we're doing this series where three preachers get 10 minutes to talk on one character quality. You're in for a treat. The first two weeks were unbelievable, but before we go there, uh, before we even get there, I just want to take a minute. I, I've got uh, probably five or six great friends, not good friends, but great friends in the Houston area who have amazing churches and literally the entire past week, they have been on boats rescuing family members. And it hasn't stopped. And in fact, they're saying that now they need more help than ever. And so I've been talking with them and calling and praying for them and praying with them about just how we can be the church outside of just Orange County. And I said, what do you need? Do you need people? Do you need food? Do you need supplies? And everyone resoundingly said, actually, we just need financial resources We've got, we, there are opportunities for us to get the things that we need. We just need the finances to purchase this. As they're renting warehouse spaces to provide cots for families to sleep in and water. I mean, in Beaumont alone, they had such a huge water crisis. So they've got the things that they need. And I said, okay, we're in. We don't want to just talk about it and just pray about it. We're in. And so if you would like to be a part of giving financially to bring hope to Houston, you can do so by texting the word hope to the number that's on the screen behind us. Or if you use our PushPay app, you can get on PushPay and in where you're designating the funds, just put Hope for Houston. And every penny that you give will go immediately on tomorrow. We'll cut a check and we'll make sure they get the finances. They're probably going to wire them the money. And uh, it'll go to relieving, to bringing, uh, to the relief efforts happening in Houston. We're working specifically with one church that's literally in the heart of Houston. And uh, he, he, they have been literally doing rescue missions nonstop around the clock and he's help and bring some hope. So if you'd like to be a part of that, you can give. I see absolutely nobody grabbing their phone, so I guess none of you. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. So if you want to give, whatever you give will go to bring hope to Houston. And we're going to add to that just to say, hey, we're behind you, and this is what it means to be the church. Can we do that, church? Awesome. So make sure you do that. Anytime today, you can do that. At the end of the service, you can do that. It's available on our push pay app, or you can text the word hope to the number on the screen. Are you guys ready for some fun today? Let me hear you say, are you ready for some fun today? All right, well, we have some amazing speakers for you today, and each of them have a specific topic. We've even got some intro music for them, but here's what I want you to know. How many of you have ever done public speaking before? Would you raise your hand? It is one of the most terrifying things in the world, so I expect smiling faces and just copious note-taking and leaning in on the edge of your seat so that they feel so excited like you actually care about every word that they're saying. When they preach something good, just say, amen, brother or sister. That's fine, too. You can raise your fist. It does, doesn't matter. But when we say give it up, I want you to clap like you have never clapped for these guys before. 
so that they feel the love. Are y'all ready for this movement, church? Are you absolutely ready for this? Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, let me introduce to you our very first speaker today. She and her husband are an amazing part of our church. She's an amazing leader on our team. She hails from the coldest state in the United States of America. Yes, she does. She comes from the city of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Would you give it up for Nicole Yeager? Come on! Well, good morning, Movement Church. It is a great privilege and honor to be up here with you today. Um, I'm so thankful for Pastor Kerry and Pastor Megan for continuously and relentlessly investing in us and entrusting us with the platform. I'm so excited this morning because I get to share with you a very exciting fruit of the Spirit. This fruit of the Spirit when I told my husband, he said, babe, maybe you shouldn't speak about that one because you're not very good at it. <laughs> Kindness, okay? <laughs> Kindness. Um, some of you that know me now may be thinking, whatever, you're the sweetest person I know. And some of my coworkers have told me, you're like the nicest person I've ever met. And let me tell you, it's taken me years to work on this whole being nice thing. To smile, to get rid of that resting jerk face. You know when you always look angry? Okay, so years, I'm just willing this forward. I gotta be nice, I gotta smile, I gotta be nice. But did you know, that's actually not what kindness is. So it's, re it's so easy to read past kindness in the Bible, not give it a second thought. God's like, be kind. And you're like, cool, got it. It's not murder, I got it. <laughs> but kindness in the Bible is actually acts of undeserved mercy, generosity, and forgiveness. Undeserved. So, undeserved mercy, generosity, and forgiveness. Every time the Bible talks about kindness and how God showed his kindness, it's not deserved. And that's actually the hardest part for me to comprehend because why would I be nice to someone that's not nice to me? And how do I do that? Titus 3, 4 shows us some of the greatest kindness that God has ever given us. It says, but when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy, he washed away our sins. And that's so counterintuitive. It's so countercultural for us to even think that we could even be something like that. To even want to be like Jesus and give someone mercy, generosity, or forgiveness when they don't deserve it. We often think that people have to earn our kindness. I mean, this morning I'm like laying in bed half asleep and my husband's like, babe, do you want coffee? And I'm like, yes. And he brings me coffee. And I'm like, you are the most perfect husband in the whole world. I'm feeling so kind. He's definitely earned those kindness points, right? But what about when he comes home from work and he's maybe a little angry or stressed or unavailable emotionally? It's a, 
it's a lot more difficult for me to be kind then, right? Do you have anyone in your life that annoys you or gets under your skin? Anyone that's completely wronged you and it wasn't your fault? Men, do your wives complain or nag or pick you apart? Or, wait, married ladies, okay, this one is a good one. How about your mother-in-law? This might only be me, but I married into the most perfect family. We were the very, very mature age of 19 years old. My soon-to-be mother-in-law told my soon-to-be husband, don't marry that girl. Wait a second. As if that wasn't enough, she told him I was fake, controlling, and manipulative. Do you think this new little daughter-in-law wanted to be nice at that point? No, not at all. And I wasn't. From that point on, it was game on. Okay, you guys, we got in email fights. We unfriended each other on Facebook. Yes, and I couldn't even stand to be in the same room with her. I was like, I'm not going anywhere alone with her. Like, Jeff, you gotta be by my side. I can't do this. But, you know, we're Christians. I'm a Christian, so good Christians pray for people, right? So I call my sister and I'm like, hey, Sarah, can you pray for my mother-in-law? She's crazy. I would go into all the details about our most current fight. I'm like, please. And my sister would go, Nicole, I know you don't want to hear this. Can you, does anything good ever follow that? I know you don't want to hear this, but you need to pray for her. You need to ask God to change your heart. And you actually need to forgive her. Wait, what? Did you not hear what she did? I mean, anyone else ever want prayer for a situation? But really, you wanted sympathy or a pity party, or event session, because that was me, for sure. So, I did not want to pray for her. I mean, honestly, I could have prayed for anyone else, anyone, just not her. But, as I talked to my sister, I realized, you know what, you're right. So I started with little prayers. God, help me with my mother-in-law, that's it. Those little prayers turned bigger. Lord, would you heal my heart? Would you help me be an example of who you are? My prayers changed from God fix her to God, would you fix me? Do something in me? Nothing in that relationship changed until I realized the change had to start with me. The more I focused on myself, praying for God to change me, and actually worked at being kind to her, the more God gave me the strength to persevere through one of the most difficult relationships in my life. Now, this wasn't some crazy magical formula. Okay, pray 100 times and you're going to miraculously be nice. No, it took intentionality too. Ephesians 4.32 tells us, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive each other just as Christ forgave you. God is actually commanding us in this verse to be kind, to be compassionate, to be forgiving, because he does that for us, right? I think the biggest piece of the puzzle to all this, though, 
is that I used to think I had to do this in my own strength. I used to think that I have to like really be nice, just shut your mouth, just be nice. But no, that's actually not at all how it is. It's like this. The more time I spend with someone, the more I become like them. Ever been around someone and you're like, you've been with them so many times, you start saying exactly what they say? Or those married couples, they've been married so long, they look like each other. <laughs> they act like each other. They finish each other's sentences. That's exactly how it is with our relationship with God. The more that we spend time pursuing our relationship with God, reading his word, pursuing him, having a heart that truly longs for him, the more we become like him. We spend time with him, we become like him. Now, my relationship with my mother-in-law, it's not perfect, but it's a whole lot better now than it ever used to be. And what relationship is perfect anyway? I can now say I truly love her. I truly want God's best for her life. So right now, I want you to just picture someone that drives you crazy and just ask God right now, how? How can I start to be kind? Maybe it's just shutting your mouth. I know I need to. Can we wait a day after typing an angry text message or a vicious email? Maybe we'll reward it or just delete it. Men, can you be nice to your, or kind to your wife, even if she picks you apart or doesn't deserve it? Can you forgive someone that does not have the right to your forgiveness? Can you start by asking God to change your heart? Start with a small prayer, a small step. It doesn't mean we won't have to work at kindness, but as we do, I believe relationships in our lives will change. There's a quote by this guy named Publilius Cyrus, and he says, you can accomplish by kindness what you cannot by force. Come on, let's give it up for Nicole. Come on, like you mean it better than that. Way to go. That was amazing. Notice how she scooted this pulpit back further. I'm just going to bring it all up front. What I forgot to tell you is that they have 10 minutes to preach this message. So we put the countdown timer behind them so that you get as much anxiety as they do because they have a countdown timer right here as well. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to continue on. And next up for you, we have kind of one of the unsung heroes at the Movement Church. Some of you may know her. Many of you may not. But she and her husband are an integral part of what takes place here. She is an amazing individual has an amazing family and all that, and she came from Michigan. I don't know how it took place, but her and her husband have been here for quite a few years now. Would you do me a favor and give it up for the one and only Becky Isaacs? Come on! <laughs> and back in black. Come on. I like it, Jess. Thanks. That's good. <laughs> Good morning, you guys. I'm so glad to be here sharing with you this morning. You know, Pastor Megan and Carrie always say, hey, you guys look awesome out there. You really do look awesome out there. It's, it's cool. It's a different vantage point up here. I like it. So um, I just came today to share a little bit about me. As Pastor Carrie already said, I, I'm Becky. I have two little awesome, amazing little girls, Abby and Jessica. I am married to Nathan, as he already said. We celebrated our 14-year wedding anniversary this last week. So it was really exciting. We made it through those years, like uh, 
my friend Nicole explain. So again, I'm just going to share a little bit about, about me this morning, and ultimately it's going to lead you to the gift of faithfulness. So as a young child, seven to eight years old, I learned how to work hard and to never give up. My father taught me the value of faithfulness. And when I, when, I, when I went to work, I had to work hard and I had to do it with excellence. When I had started something, I had to finish it. Whether I wanted to or not, it had to be finished to the end. All that great work ethic was amazing, but I had no idea how to deal with money. I didn't know how to be faithful with money. I was actually very reckless with money. After high school, I went away to college and I got a credit card and I swiped it and I swiped it and I swiped it. And I guess I needed to go to school a little bit more because I didn't realize that bill was eventually going to have to be paid off one day. It was those years of 0% interest, so it looked amazing, but I actually would have had to pay it off and that got me into a mountain of trouble. But once I was out of school, I decided that I'd move from my little farm town of Ithaca, Michigan of 2,500 people to the metropolis of LA, over 3 million people to work in the amazing broadcast industry with my broadcasting advertising degree. And I came all the way out here in, in a Ford Escort wagon with no air conditioning across that amazing state of Texas into California. And I was so excited to get here to work in that post-production facility as a receptionist. You heard it, a receptionist, because my foot was in the door, in my mind, and so I, I got in, I began to answer phones, check in tapes faithfully, I will tell you, with excellence, and I, I um, answered the phones, I said, yes, and then I made cappuccinos, I made lattes, and um, I ordered lunch for people like Cher, the most amazing sweet woman in the world, honestly, the Penn brothers, some of the other 90 superstars, and I would spend my evenings there working to become a pro at audio editing because that's what I was going to do with my life. Well, little did I know, after a year, I was like done with the LA dog-eat-dog -dog world, and I decided I'm gonna move down to one of the most expensive counties in the country, Orange <laughs> County. Why not? I have this debt, and why not just move to Orange County? My brother was down here, so I decided to come help him in business, and I'm gonna go back to school to get my teaching credential. So in the middle of my plan of getting my teaching credential, I was at church and someone sp started to speak about this country, Bulgaria, and it was about teaching at a mission school in Bulgaria, and I was like, my heart would just beat out of my chest every time I heard that country, and I'm like, but I have literally this mountain of debt. Every month I'm balancing my checkbook to the penny with barely pennies, or maybe some months, a do few dollars left over, and then swiping my credit card for all my extra needs and wants. So my debt was becoming just bigger and bigger over these, these last couple years. And um, so then I, I was like, how in the world with this big debt am I ever going to be able to go serve in another country and have people back here in the United States sponsor my debt? It just was like not comprehensive in my mind, but God just made it happen. So people covered my debt. And I think the biggest thing in that experience was that I had to put my hope and trust in God not in my own way, but in God's way for me. And I, so I went. I went to Bulgaria for two years, and I taught school in this mission school for dignitaries and businessmen and women's children. And in that time, I wanted to surrender the call. I'm telling you, it was a different culture, just a complete different, different world. And, but God taught me just some really good lesson. It was like, 
What, you, what, are you faithful with what I put in my hand? And he said, if you'll be faithful with that little bit I put in your hand, that I'll increase it, increase your capacity for more. And so the second year, I was actually promoted to be the elementary principal. I don't know what they were thinking at like 26, <laughs> but I was. And God allowed it to be just a greater influence to, the, to those people. Some of them knew Jesus and some of them didn't. But I had a, a sphere of influence that almost 20 years later today, I still have connections with those families who have great influence in other places. So um, I moved back to the States and I went to teach school and I barely made $20,000 a year in, in teaching school. Uh, and I was, I was like, what am I gonna do now? So my brother, sister and I were sitting around a campfire and we got this great idea to go into business together. And I had to in, invest $3,000 that my brother was gonna give me to start this business. And I was like, why not? $3,000 more to this mountain of debt, let's just go for it. Um, so in summer of 2001, Aberdeen, a broadcast service company, was birthed. My declaration at the start of that business was, God, I'll be faithful with the little bit that you put in my hand because I know, I know that this is going to be the start of something great that you're going to entrust me with. And then I had two goals in the beginning of the business. One was to get out of the mountain of debt. And number two was to be able to give back to ministry because my heart just, even though it just always beats for ministry. So sitting back to back with my brother in this amazing little office, I made sales call after sales call. And I mean, daily relying on God. My sister and I would get into this little room and we would pray fervent prayers that God would see us through to profitable years. So in the middle of the mountain of debt, I meet this guy, Nathan, and now I'm going to get married, and I think, how in the world can I allow, seriously, over $20,000 of debt, I was going to allow it to come between me getting married. And Nathan taught me that was mine was his and what his was mine. So he took on my $20,000 debt. I took on his 29% Ford Escort car loan. That's what happens when you're an immigrant, 29% car loan. I took that on, yeah. So in 2006, the business floodgates just opened. And I mean, opened so much that Nathan and I would lay on the floor where the tape decks were. We'd set our timer for every 30 minutes to change the tapes. And it was a blessing of God, but it was like, it was hard work. And it was tough to be faithful and continually sewing and sewing and sewing into those days. But we were, and I was reminded again, what's in these hands, I will be faithful. I would sit and when I'd invoice, I would sit and I would pray over every single client. God, I would, I would pray over their business, whatever it was, their ministry, that they would continue to have increase in what that was. And today I can stand here, you guys, and tell you that two years into my marriage, four years into, my business, into the business, Nathan, Nathan and I stood and we saw the $20,000 debt turn into $20,000 savings in our bank account. Today I can stand fully convinced that God rewards faithfulness. When I look at what I earned a month became what I tithed in the month, I was like, God, you were, I was faithful with that little bit and you, you brought a great increase in my life. And I just wanna remind you today, you guys, that it's not just about money. Is my story, my testimony about money, about money, but it was whatever is in your hands today. 
Whatever's in your hands, he's called you to be faithful with what is in your hands today, and he will bring an increase in your life in, in many ways. So why in the world does God call us to faithfulness? Jesus explains in Matthew 25, 40, that Jesus, that when you're faithful to serve anyone, not just Christ followers, but anybody, that it is, is the same as serving him. That's the same as serving him. That's exciting, you guys. That means when we serve here in the dream team, it's like the same as serving Jesus. It's pretty exciting. So in that parable in Matthew 25, it talks about the parable of the servants. There were two, two of the guys that went and took their talents and invested really well and came back. But there was one guy, he was really afraid. And he went and took his talent and he hid it into the ground. And he thought that would be a good idea. But you know what God did with the two that, that invested well? He, he celebrated. He came, they came back and he, he said, well done, your good and faithful servant. And he celebrated. So I want you guys to see God celebrating over you this morning. Why don't you guys take your hands like this quickly. Just put them out like this. And you can close your eyes. And just imagine what's in your hands. And say, Father, I will be faithful. What's, what's, what's in my hand? And I know you'll make me great over much. Amen. Thank you. Come on. Let's give it up. Come on for Becky Isaacs. What I love about that, why didn't you play Back in Black when I walked up, Jessica? <laughs> I feel like I'm offended. But uh, I love about this story is that there's 100% there, there's truth behind it. Uh, they, when I say unsung heroes, because they are quietly always in the background but 100% in the foreground hoping that God will do the greatest things in your life, and I love that. I love that we get to hear from different voices and different people, different stories, and, and, and different seasons of life, because there's something that's rich about that. And so uh, we didn't save the best for last, but we saved a great one for last. <laughs> I mean, I can't say the best for last, and that would be cutting down these other two, but the, let me just get the greatest compliment I can give. It's the only New York Giants fan that I actually love. <laughs> And even though he was, lived in New Jersey for a little bit, we don't hold that against him because he's an Orange County boy through and through. Would you do me a favor? Would you give it up for the greatest children's pastor, Pastor Joe Boyd? Come on. We should just let that play. Just let it go. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. Jessica might have to dance. You better be careful. Thank you, Pastor Kerry, Pastor Megan, for allowing me to share today. It's a privilege and an honor, truly, to be up here and to share with each and every one of you. As Pastor Kerry said, my name's Joe. My wife and I are the children's pastors here, and there's something you should know about me. I am a recovering procrastinator. <laughs> I say recovering because every day I say tomorrow I'm going to get better. <laughs> so... <laughs> Truthfully, oh man, if you knew me back in college, I am light years from where I was. In college, freshman year, I remember walking around the dormitory, literally room to room, like, hey, what are you guys doing? Are you watching a movie? Sweet, I'll watch a movie. I did that till about like 12 a.m. or 1 a.m. until everybody was like asleep, and I was like, oh, guess I should do my homework. Um, sometimes I was even helping other people with projects. But th this one time I can remember very clearly, it was my senior year. And I was a communications major, and I had a thesis paper that I had to write. It was about 60 pages long. And I was up to about 50 pages at this point. And I had 10 pages left, and it was due the next morning at 7.30 in the morning. 
And again, it was about 12 a.m. And I had a Dell laptop computer. This thing was amazing. And right about halfway through my junior year, I noticed some of the keys stopped working. Like, you'd have to, like, hit it, and then it would work. And by the end of my senior year, all of a sudden, that night, the keyboard just died. Everybody's asleep. The computer lab's closed. Like, back then, like, Kinko's, that wasn't really a thing. Um, so I had to get a computer from somewhere. Where was I going to get a computer? Well, at the time, my wife was my girlfriend. She lived in a condo with five other women, and I knew for a fact they left their back sliding glass door unlocked. <laughs> because they had a nine-foot fence. And I was like, all I got to do is jump this fence. And I did. And I army crawled through that business. I got the stairs. Now, listen, I realize now that this was extremely creepy. <laughs> but back then, it was like Mission Impossible. I got that computer. I got back to my house. And I cranked out those 10 pages. I pulled an all-nighter and then had to present a 60-page paper. Let's just say it wasn't my best presentation. But, uh, but again, Light years better, so keep praying for me. <laughs> I think if we're honest with ourselves, though, we all know what it is that we struggle with. It might be one or two things. Or even maybe a better question is, what would other people say that we struggle with? That's the real eye-opener, isn't it? Maybe it's procrastination like me. Or maybe it's balance. Maybe you're one of those people that's an extreme individual that's all or nothing. You know, maybe it's social media and electronics. You just spend way too much time and you take your phone into the bathroom every single time. Or maybe it's spending money. Maybe when, like, the good times are rolling, you're like, yeah, let's celebrate. Or maybe when it's the bad times, you're like, oh, woe is me. Let's go to Marshall's. You know? <laughs> or maybe it's food. Listen, I love me some food. Ice cream is all day, every day in our house. Maybe it's gossip or negativity. Or maybe it's anger or lust. Or maybe it's your need to control everything and everyone around you. That's a tough one. You know what it is. You can fill in that blank. But I think we can all identify with at least one of those. I know I can identify with more than one. These usually become more of a problem in our lives because they're, they're never just by themselves. They're coupled with something else, like denial. So great, now you deny that you have the problem and the problem just continues. Or maybe it's a tomorrow mentality where you're saying, hey, I'll get that tomorrow. See, for me, I was always somebody who said, I work best under pressure. So what does that mean? I'm going to wait till the last second to get it done. And so time after time, I proved myself that I could still do it. Or maybe it's rationalization. Or maybe it's that you don't really have a clear aim or a goal to direct your steps. Maybe it's negative programming and you blame it on your poor parents, right, from your upbringing. Or maybe it's inconsistency or lack of discipline. Whatever it is, those two things combined make for a really difficult time practicing self-control. And I think we can all agree, self-control isn't easy. It doesn't come naturally. It's something that we have to work at. But what is the true cost of a lack of self-control? What are we missing out on? Or what is it that we're suffering from? Is it pain or hurt or bitterness or regret? Or maybe it's that we're sacrificing potential for that immediate gain. Legitimately, every time we succumb to that weakness, we're cashing in a part of our potential just so that we can have that immediate gain. Because the truth is, an ungoverned weakness, if it goes long enough, will become an illness. Something that we think, no big deal, right? I wait till the last minute. What are we sacrificing for that? It's important that we recognize 
Plato, I'm sure many of you know, um, he said, man's greatest victory is conquering himself. But to be conquered by yourself is of all things most shameful and vile, sweet. So my greatest victory is conquering myself, but the worst thing in the world is to not do it. So it sounds like the hardest thing to do, but also the most important. In Proverbs 25, 28, it says, He that does not have control over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. Awesome. So if I don't control myself, now I'm leaving myself open for attack. That one little innocent weakness, procrastinating, waiting to the last second is going to leave me open and, and vulnerable for attack. And guess who's going to attack? It's not going to be some kindergartner with a lollipop. It's going to be the enemy. And he's not coming to just like kind of knock you down. He's coming to take you out. And it's playing for keeps. Who's feeling encouraged? <laughs> Sweet. All right, perfect. <laughs> well, let's take a look at this. How do we actually conquer ourselves and have self-control? Well, it's the first place we check is the dictionary because we need to understand what is self-control before we can do it. Webster says it's the ability to control oneself, in particular one's emotions and desires or the expression of them in one's behavior, especially in trying situations. Basically, rather than responding to immediate impulses, we need to actually plan and evaluate. And to me, that's like second nature. No, not really. Planning and evaluating, I feel like, is the last thing I check off the box. But everything in that definition and everything even in the word self-control is telling you who's in charge of this. You. Me. We're in charge. It's yourself taking care of you. And to be honest, when I sat down to write this message, I had an awesome five-point message that's going to help you be some you, better you. It was amazing. It was like a self-help seminar. It was going to charge about $50 a seat. <laughs> but then God spoke to me, and I remembered Philippians 4.13. It says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things, but only through Christ who's going to strengthen me. And it was like that V8 commercial where they just, it was like, oh, yeah. Weird, this word self-control is misguiding me because the first place I need to turn isn't myself because I've tried to take care of this thing and look how that's worked out. It's not our strength and our own accord, that, but it's the strength that God gives us. So let's look at three components, three components that are biblically found that will help us to increase your, <laughs> your results in your self-control. The first Let's look at Galatians, where Paul's talking about self-control. He says that it's a fruit of the Spirit. A fruit of the Spirit. So many times when we read this, we're looking at it and we're like, oh, it's the fruits. That's what we're talking about here. There's nine of them, right? But it's the fruit of the Spirit. I think Paul's trying to show us something. Not so much the fruit. He's really focused on the Spirit. Because without the Spirit, there is no fruit. I think Jeremy, or one of the other speakers this past week, said that it's uh, Shana. She was the one saying, abide in the vine. If you're not attached to the vine, if you're not attached to the spirit, you're not going to produce the fruit. You see, it's not so much about the fruit as it is the spirit. In John 16, Jesus says, I must leave so that the Holy Spirit might come and dwell in you. Jesus is talking about, hey, listen, I have to go so that you can have the Holy Spirit. It's not a question or a maybe or a, yeah, this is a good idea. This is essential. You need the Holy Spirit. And so the Spirit is what gives us the power to control ourselves. You have no power over sin, but it is the Spirit that dwells in you that gives us that power. 
In Galatians 5.25, Paul says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Well, what does that mean? That means we can't do it on our own, essentially. If you're going to live by the Spirit, you need to walk it out as well. The second component is prayer. So if the Spirit gives us this power, but we're not accessing it because we're too focused on ourselves, how do we re redirect our focus? Well, Jesus said to the, the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The Spirit is willing. The Spirit wants to help us. It's there. It resides in us. But we have to access it. So what was Jesus' answer to them? Why don't you come pray with me for an hour? Not why don't you go pray. Why don't you come with me? and pray. Why don't you come be with me? Be by my side. The, your proximity to God and your time in prayer will show you how strong you are and how able you are. And so the third one is grace. The third one is grace. So we have Holy Spirit, we have prayer, and we have grace. Paul finishes the fruit of the Spirit by telling us there's, against such things, there's no law. The law is not going to keep you to this. It's not going to help produce this virtue in you. You can draw a line in the sand, but how many of you have ever broken a law? Raise your hand. It's okay, I'm not a cop. <laughs> there we go. That's how well that works, right? It's God's grace. In Titus, Paul talks about salvation not only saves us for eternity, but it trains us to live an upright and self-controlled godly life. Can I pray for you real quick? Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, God, thank you for today. God, thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to empower us. Thank you for teaching us how to pray so that we can access that power. And God, most of all, thank you for your grace. Help us to be better each and every day. God, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, let's give it up for Pastor Joe. What, what an amazing... What an amazing message. What an amazing lineup. Can we give it up for our three speakers today? I hope, I hope you take two things from this that you know that Pastor Joe is no longer a creeper, number one. But uh, my hope and prayer is that for all of us today is that at least something, that one of these three or maybe one thing that each of these three said resonates. We, we can't leave a Sunday morning and expect to be some perfectly fashioned, formed follower of Jesus. All we can do is just figure out what is my next step. So maybe that's working on being kind, bringing that undeserved mercy and compassion to someone, especially those that we have a struggle being kind towards. Or maybe it's being faithful with the little things, the things that may seem so insignificant today, but play such a significant role in your life moving forward. Or maybe it's identifying that one area that I've got to allow the Holy Spirit to help me get control of in my life. What is God doing in your life today? Maybe it's just kind of gently tapping on your shoulder saying, hey, that right there, just let's do some work together on this. I think a lot of times we look at God or we look at church and we look at faith and we think that God is just kind of waiting and pointing this proverbial judgmental finger saying you have failed you've messed up you'll never be good enough you'll never be smart enough you don't have the talent but that's not the way that God works that's called condemnation condemnation says that this is my past this is my failures these are my mistakes and it's all I will ever be but the way that God works is he says sure 
That's in your past, but let's look at what's in your future. And not only that, but I'm going to help you get there. That's the amazing thing about the God that we serve. As he says, man, I understand there's some junk back there. I've, I've been with you through it all, but I want to help you get to your future. And it starts one step at a time saying, man, I, I need to work on this thing right here. How many of you would say, you know what, yeah, there's a few things that I can work on. Would you raise your hands? Awesome. Can we just pray one more time today? And Let's just pray that God would do something miraculous today. God, we just thank you that you care about the seemingly insignificant things and that you care about the great things. God, I just pray that for all of us in this room, not just for those seating, sitting in the seats today, but for all of us in this room, that if there's areas of kindness that we need to work on or faithfulness or self-control, that you'll lean in and give us the strength to take the steps that we need to take. That we can become who you've called us to become. We thank you, God, that you focus more on our future than our past. In Jesus' name, I pray. Hey, before we go, let me just talk to you really quickly. Some of you are in this room today, and maybe the next step for you isn't necessarily getting this whole self-control kindness thing down. Maybe the next step for you is just simply saying yes to Jesus. When it comes to God, there is a starting point, a starting line that we actually have to cross over. And I'm not talking about church membership. I'm not talking about anything else, but just simply saying yes to Jesus. And it's easy. In fact, he's done all the work because so many people think, wait a minute, I've got to get my life perfect before I can start this journey with God. But no, that's the great thing about God. You don't have to do anything. He's done everything for us. But you don't know my past, Pastor Kerry. You don't know what I've walked through. And you're right, I don't. But God doesn't care about that. There's a consequence for the foolish decisions that we've made. There's consequences for sin, yeah. But God paid those by sending Jesus to down the cross for everyone who would simply believe. So if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, in a moment I'm going to pray a prayer right where you're seated with no embarrassment. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat, but right there I want to challenge you. Just pray this prayer with me and start the journey with God. Life won't get perfect, but look at me, it gets good. So if you're here and you've never prayed this prayer today, is your day. It's why you're here. And if you're here today and you've been running from God today, I want to challenge you. Pray this prayer with me and start running back to him. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes, nobody looking around, nobody moving. If you're here and you've never prayed this prayer or it's time to pray it again for the first time in a long time and just start running back to him right where you're seated in the quietness of your own heart or in a small whisper, just repeat this prayer after me. Just say, dear God, I know that you're real. I know that you love me. And that you've given me purpose. God, I just ask that you would forgive me. I know I'm not perfect. I want you to be part of my life. And just make this prayer your own right there where you're seated. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you prayed that prayer with us today, we are so excited to be a part of this journey with you. Would you email us at info at theocmovement.com? And if you're not in the area, we would love to help you find another life-giving church near you. Send us an email at info at theocmovement.com and we'll get back to you shortly. Thank you again for listening to another inspiring message from The Movement Church.